When I got back late, early, late Tuesday, early morning, Wednesday, right? Just after midnight. We're glad to be back. We had uh, some very interesting encounters while we were in Hong Kong. Obviously, we encountered the Lord, and we had some amazing time in worship and in fellowship with the uh, church in Hong Kong, the church that was not only the church in Hong Kong, but there was many, uh, there was over 12,000 people that were gathered at this meeting. And uh, before that, there was two days where we had about 200 or so leaders from the different parts of the world, uh, a contingent from Canada. And uh, the whole momentum was about one word, and the word was oneness. And I shared with you a little bit before we went away about uh, my understanding so far of what oneness is. And uh, we went into a deeper level of understanding as the Lord opened that up for us, and he took us into a deeper relationship with one another. There were five different Chinese groups that were represented, the group from Hong Kong itself, the group from Macau, Taiwan, mainland China, and what they're calling the overseas Chinese, some of which are some of you who are in the room. And uh, that representation of those five groups, they were walking together now for some years, and they're seeing that they have a call to walk as one community, one church, that has many different expressions and representations in different parts of the globe. But their call is a redemptive call to bring the gospel back to where it all started, back to Jerusalem. And in that journey, to go back to Jerusalem from where they are in the Far East, they feel that their call is to bless every nation in its path, between China all the way to Jerusalem. And that means a uh, heart for the children of Abraham, both Isaac and Ishmael. It means a heart for all the nations in between. And uh, some of them are actually walking out reconciliation now with Japan, with Korea, with Malaysia, with uh, Indonesia. And they're realizing that they're all called to be part of the global church. And we are all called into the same oneness. So as we're walking all of this out, we have a very key role as a congregation in the midst of all of this. Now, last week, you had... A uh, couple of people, one of the pastors and his family from uh, Solomon's Porch. And today we have somebody else from Solomon's Porch. And as it turns out, I ended up with Silva. Uh, we were invited on Saturday night to attend a meeting where I was to speak on the role that Sat7 plays in helping China fulfill its mandate and bringing the gospel to the Middle East, to the Arab-speaking world, Farsi-speaking world, and Turkish-speaking world. And uh, I was there to speak on that. And the meeting was at Solomon's Porch. So one of its members, Rebecca Pine, is the Asia representative of Sat7. And Hanny Emanuel, do you remember him? He was invited to be the speaker. And she had no idea I was going to be there. When she saw me, she says, oh, you got to come and you got to share some things. So we ended up there on the Saturday night. And Solomon Por- Solomon's porch people ended up being here Sunday morning. So you tell me, is that coincidence? Could be. But I have a feeling there's a little bit more at play than just that. That the relationship between Solomon's porch and Acts through Mary and Rob and the history that they've had all through that time and, and your presence here today, I think that the Lord is knitting our hearts even across these miles on multiple levels for something that he may have in store that only our faithfulness will allow us to step into. Uh, 
So I want to encourage all of you, uh, if you haven't signed up for the retreat, this is my pitch as your pastor, one of your pastors. It's my pitch to tell you, I really want you to be there because I think that the Lord is going to be releasing something to us as a community that we need to receive together. If you're unable to because of circumstances that are beyond control, okay? If you have a commitment to family where you have to be left, you know, uh, stay behind to take care of someone, if you have uh, a situation where you can't get out of work, any other reason, you know, if it's not life and death, any other reason, make every effort, even if it's just to come up early, early morning on Saturday, spend the full day and go back home Sunday or Saturday night. Uh, that one day, if you can do that, I think and I believe that the Lord has got something very special for us as a church that he's going to deliver to us. And he's going to invite us to step into. We happen to be just the weekend after the oneness gathering in Hong Kong and just the weekend before the as one gathering in Ottawa for Canada. I believe that this is a very critical time for the church in Canada. And the Lord is bringing us to a place where the leaders across the nation are stepping into a relationship once again of walking together as one. We used to talk a lot about unity, but the Lord is talking to us now about as one. Not just unity, but to go a lot deeper than just unity. And the whole idea, the whole of the scripture focuses on this one thought that God in his mercy, and this is me now transitioning to my sermon, God in his mercy, because he is love, he has created a creature called humanity that he has desired to enter into covenant with. Can you say that word, covenant? Say it once again, covenant. Covenant is not a contract. Covenant is not an agreement. Covenant is stepping into oneness. It's not about unity when you enter into covenant. Unity is necessary for you to enter into the covenant, but what the covenant brings you to is oneness. That's the whole idea behind covenant. And you find it right from the beginning of Scripture, right to the end of Scripture, that it is actually the infrastructure or the backbone of what the scripture is revealing to us throughout all of its history. Talk to an architect, and they will tell you that without the structure, nothing else gets done in the building. Of course, you need a foundation, but you need the structure to be able to do everything that you do around it. Am I correct? Is structure an important aspect of what you do when you're designing a building? So what the Lord has done in designing this book that he has given us, which is his revelation of his heart to humanity, he has built in a series of covenants. Now, the word covenant is not something that we use every day. You find it in the legal community that, you know, you sign covenants. When you're getting married, you're signing a, a marriage covenant. When you are uh, entering into a community, like a church, we call it a membership covenant. We don't call it a membership application. We haven't had one. We haven't talked about it for a while. But when we were walking as the two congregations, the well on Bayview, 
the Armenian and the English congregation, we had a membership covenant that people would complete. And in that covenant, they express what they are bringing into the well on Bayview. What is it, what is it that they are desiring to fulfill and what are the commitments that they're making? So the scripture shows us the heart of God in his approach to Israel. And initially, it wasn't Israel. His first covenant that he made was in the garden when he spoke to Adam and Eve. The second covenant after that was the covenant with Noah. There's a bunch of covenants. There's actually, depends on how you count, there are five or seven covenants throughout the scripture that describe the desire of God to deal with humanity. Because of sin... He had to redo the covenant a number of times and re-express it over and over again. So this is his expression of covenant in Exodus chapter 6 when he is talking to Moses. Moses was, you probably know the story, he was a little Jewish boy that was born in Egypt when Pharaoh had decided that he wanted to kill all the Jewish boys so that they would not continue multiplying and what he did was decree that every midwife should kill the baby boy as it's born. A weird, weird kind of infanticide or abortion, if you will, right at birth. So as he did that, Moses' mother was compelled to save him by putting him in a basket and putting him down the Nile. And before you know it, Pharaoh's daughter, who ended up to be Pharaoh's the younger Pharaoh's sister, picked out the basket, saw the baby boy, and she adopted him, and he grew up in the, in the courts of Pharaoh. So he grew up as an Egyptian prince. You know the movie, The Prince of Egypt, right? So he grew up as a young boy in Egypt, indoctrinated in the ideas of Egyptian kingdom power, in the ideas of what it means to be a Pharaoh. And God took him out of that, and led him into the wilderness where he spoke to him about saving the Egyptians, which were now slaves in Egypt. I'm sorry, did I say Egyptians? I meant the Israelites. So as, he's, as God is hearing the cry of the Israelites, he lowers his ear, he hears their cry, he comes, speaks to Moses, and now he is expressing his heart to do covenant with the people that are the descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. In other words, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, and that's why they're called the Israelites, the family of Jacob, the family of Israel. So now he is talking to Moses about what he's going to do as a covenant with Moses and with the nation of Israel. So here are some of the words that he uses. He says to them, God also spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. In the English, we use the word the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's the four-letter for character, name of God that's unpronounceable. Do you know what I mean by that? Okay. In the Hebrew Bible, in the original, what we call the Old Testament, what the Hebrew people or the Jewish people call the Tanakh, in the five books of Moses, it begins to talk about God, and Moses writes these four characters that sounds like the, the four characters themselves don't have any vowels. They're just consonants. And they sound like the, the initials for Yahweh. And that's where we get the name Jehovah. So he writes that word. And because we don't have a word that translates into that, 
they've taken the initials of Adonai, the, the, the uh, vowels from the word Adonai, injected them into that four-letter word, so it now sounds like we're saying Yahweh. And that's translated in our English Bibles to the word the Lord. So whenever you see that, the Lord, you know that in the Hebrew, it's using the name of God, not the word God, but the name of God, Yahweh, and it's embedded in there. So when he speaks of himself as Yahweh, he's unveiling his, his, himself. He's revealing himself. It's like me coming to talk to Rob and saying, Rob, I, Hanny, I'm committing to do this. It makes it a lot more serious, and it brings it to the point that there's no question who is involved in this conversation. And you know, when we're signing contracts, that's how we sign them. I, comma, Hanny of Toronto commit to do this and this and this. Right? So whenever we're doing the, anything serious and anything that is weighty, anything that is official, we inject our name into it to make sure that the other party knows exactly who they're talking to and what the deal is. I, Yahweh, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. And the word there, God, is the word Elohim. And that's where, you know, we get the word El. It's short form for Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. It is more royal. It is more complete. And it's embedded within it, is hidden within it, the idea of the Trinity. Because it's a plural word. It's not a single word. But it implies deity. God Almighty. And the word mighty is a different word. But by my name, the Lord. Do you see what I'm talking about? He's actually expressing his name and revealing his name in this conversation. He's saying, by my name, Yahweh, Jehovah, I did not make myself known to them. They didn't know my name. They only knew me as God. And when I revealed myself to them as God, they entered into a relationship with me. And he goes, and I also established my covenant with them. I entered into a relationship with them. Covenant is all about relationship. Covenant is not about conditions and contracts and how we do this and what we do, what happens if we don't. But it's all about two individuals coming into a relationship where they're giving themselves totally to one to the other. In other words, I also established my covenant with them. And this is what I committed to do in that covenant. To give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they resided as aliens. The land that I called Abraham to, from his father's house, I called him to the land of Canaan, and I promised him to give him that land. I also heard the groaning of the Israelites from whom the Egyptians are holding, whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Notice the, the weight that God is putting on this idea of covenant. In the Arabic language, we use the word ahd. In Farsi, you, you don't use the ah sound like we do in Arabic. You say at. In Armenian, it's the word ucht. In English, it's the word covenant. And it implies something very serious. And a number of times, God is using that word and he's saying that I made a covenant with them. I remembered my covenant with who? With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And I made myself remember that I promised them this land. But now they're slaves in Egypt. How often do you feel like a slave to something? How often do you feel like a slave to your circumstances? To your health? Or its lack of? To your finances? To circumstances that are beyond your control 
and it feels like there's a slave master who's just whipping you, asking you to produce out of nothing and to just own you. A lot of times you may feel that way. And this is the beauty of what God is talking about to Moses here when he's telling them, I remember my covenant. I remember my covenant that I was going to make them a great nation. He made a covenant with Abraham that he would bless him, that he would make him a blessing, that he would bless anyone that Abraham was blessed by and that he would curse whoever cursed Abraham. He wanted to protect Abraham because Abraham now had come into a covenant with God and covenant really, really covenant means one thing. Covenant means oneness. That I'm bringing you into a relationship with me where all of a sudden we're not strangers anymore. We're not partners anymore. We have become one. What I have is yours. What you have is mine. Now in covenant, when I'm entering into covenant with Rob, and we have by virtue of the fact that we're walking this journey together, we haven't publicized it and stood up here and said we commit to one another and do this. But you know we are in covenant Because we stepped into the covenant that Jesus established with him and with me. So by virtue of our stepping into that covenant, now we are in covenant as well. And the garbage that Rob has in his life, guess what? It becomes mine. The garbage that I have in my life, yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Wonderful. I've inherited Rob's garbage. And the garbage that I carry in my life becomes Rob's. Sorry, bud. But also, all the goodness that's in Rob becomes mine. And all the goodness in me becomes Rob. Rob's. Okay? And that's what the Lord is doing with us here at the City River. He's bringing us as three congregations, but more importantly than three congregations. He's bringing us as multiple, multiple, multiple individuals. Each one with our gifts. Each one with our talents. Each one's with our brokenness, each one with our frailty, each one with our garbage. And he's bringing us into this relationship, not only with one another, because you can join a club to do that. But he's bringing us into a relationship where now we enter into not only oneness with one another, but oneness ultimately with him. And that's the beauty of this covenant. That he is making it individually with each one of us. He names them by name. Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't add extra words unnecessarily. He's saying, I am a personal God. I'm not just a family God dealing with Abraham's family. I am dealing with Abraham, with Abraham's son, with Abraham's grandson. And I'm dealing with you. And I'm dealing with you, Moses. And I'm dealing with all the Israelites that are slaves in Egypt. One by one. But I'm also dealing with you all as a community. And I'm bringing you into the place where you realize the oneness that I'm walking out with you because I'm giving you all that I am. I am giving you my whole being. And I'm accepting you with all the garbage that you have. Because God is perfect. He is light. There is no darkness in him at all. There's no evil in him at all. But Israelites, back in the day, were broken people. Just like you and I. They would sin, they would have idols, they would build, you know, right after this, when he took them out of Egypt, the first thing they did, they had Aaron as their high priest. And what did he do? Collect everybody's gold and build a golden calf. And not only did he do that, but he told them that this is Yahweh, the God that brought you out of Egypt. He was broken. But God didn't give up on them. He brought him in. And he continued to work with them. 
So he established his covenant and he gave them the law and he gave them all of the, these details. So therefore, say therefore to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I'm not just some God. I'm not just some idol that is in Egypt in the form of a cat or a snake or a dog or anything like that. I am God, the uncreated one. I am the eternal one. I'm the unseen one. I'm the one whose name is the Lord. And I will free you from the burdens of the Egyptians and deliver you from slavery to them. This is the promise to you. This isn't just a mythical thing that's to the people of Israel. But this is the promise to each one of us. That whatever bondage you're walking in. Whatever garbage you're carrying, I am willing to be one with you because I know he is setting you free from all that garbage. You're willing to become with me because you know that he is setting me free from that garbage. So Rob and I, in our covenant walk together, whatever garbage I'm bringing into our relationship, he knows that day by day that garbage is being cleansed out. And I have the same hope when Rob. And sometimes we grind against each other. Sometimes the garbage just sticks out a little bit too much on the one side. And as we're bumping into each other, garbage against garbage. You know what happens when that happens? It stinks. It stinks to high heaven. It reeks. But garbage needs to be dealt with. And sometimes in the bumping of one another and the garbage... And you know that because you live it at home. If you're married, you have garbage that always comes up. If you're living with your parents... You see the garbage. If you're living with your children, you see the garbage. The Bible calls garbage sin. And that's what we've inherited from our great-grandfathers, Adam and Eve. And that garbage needs to be dealt with. And he is constantly saying, I am going to deliver you from that slavery that you're stuck with. That garbage that you have no way of dealing with. That garbage that's there has to go. Because I am holy and I'm calling you to holiness. I am pure and I'm calling you to purity. I am perfect and I'm calling you to perfection. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you. When is the last time you got a coupon in the mail? Did you ever get a coupon? Okay. Bell Canada or Roger sends you a bill. And in the bill, it says we have an offer. Present this coupon to the Rogers representative and you will get a brand new free phone if you sign up for two years. Have you ever got one of those? Do you ever got a, a Swiss chalet coupon? Two can dine for $9.99, right? Are we getting hungry? Huh? Are we getting hungry? Okay. You can get an extra uh, pecan pie with that. And there's a little coupon and you have little, little perforations and you got to cut it out very delicately and take it and present it unless you have the phone app now and you can just show them the app. But you have to redeem it. It's useless as a little coupon. It won't fill your mouth with anything. You won't enjoy the taste of that nice, rich pecan pie. It won't do anything for you. It won't add any weight to you. It's just a coupon. Until you actually go and... Redeem it. There was a little boy that had uh, been walking around this garden. And he had been chasing and chasing this bird until finally he caught this little bird. And this old man, his grandfather, was watching him. And he couldn't believe how devilish his grandson was. The grandson found the bird. And before you know it, he was taking the two wingtips and stretching them. He wanted to see how far the wings would open when the bird is in flight. 
And of course, he was hurting the bird because the bird was trying to protect himself. And the bird was squealing and squealing. And the grandfather's heart was breaking. So he goes to his grandson. He says, son, what are you doing? He goes, I'm enjoying my bird. I caught it. And he, he starts saying, well, you're hurting it. He goes, no, I'm not. Watch. And he squeezes the wings together. And he's holding the bird. And the bird is ah, ah, squawking. But the grandfather is just heart is melting. He says, son, let that bird go. You're torturing it. He goes, no, it's my bird. I caught it. I want to do what I want to do with it. And the grandfather says, no, son, uh, let that bird go. I'll give you $5 for it. He goes, but I chased it for half an hour until I caught it. He says, no, son, let that bird go. I'll give you $10 for it. Finally, they got to $50, and the, and the grandson made a great deal, took the money, and let the bird go. And the bird was now sitting in its hand, not knowing what to do. What the grandfather did was redeem the bird for $50. The grandson was like the devil, torturing us and squeezing us and stretching us and pushing us around and doing all of these different things. But now he's let us go. We've been redeemed. We're sitting there. But the bird was afraid to do anything. It didn't know that it could fly. It didn't know that it could stretch its wings again. And that's exactly where you find yourself and I find myself so many times when the Lord has already redeemed us. He's purchased us with his blood. He set us free by the power of his blood, by his sacrifice. He's cleansed us. He's done all of these different things with us. But we have now not only been redeemed and not stretched out with the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and you, I will be your God. But we don't know it. The people of Israel has no, had no idea. They were stuck in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They kept on waking up in the morning, making bricks out of nothing and working so hard for the slave master, Pharaoh. And they just didn't know what to do. And now he sends them Moses and they don't even know what to do with Moses. Moses gives them this new thing that he tells them that tomorrow or in a week or so, there will be a pass. Over, a passing over of the angel of death over all the houses of Egypt because the angel of death is coming to kill the firstborns. Unless you have killed a lamb and taken its blood and with hyssop branches, some plant branches, taken the blood and put it on your doorposts. That reminds me of a story. There was a man who was uh, traveling in, in Germany at the time of the Second World War. Actually, he was in France at the time that the Germans had advanced into France. And he watched what was going on. And he watched the soldiers of the German army go in house by house and kill everybody in the house. And as they finished doing that, they took some blood from the blood that was in the, street, uh, in the floors and they just put it on the doorpost and they walked away. So he got smart. He went into the backyard, pulled the goat that was there, killed it, took its blood, put it on the doorpost, and they huddled inside with his family. As the German soldiers walked by, they saw that the door that they were going to come to already had some other soldiers come to it and kill everybody and put the blood so they didn't go in and waste their time. And the blood that was on the door ended up saving that whole family. The blood is powerful. The blood is powerful to save. The blood is powerful to protect from the angel of death. And they came to that conclusion. And on that night, the night of the Passover, all of Israel's families were saved 
all the firstborns of Egypt, including the son of Pharaoh, were killed. And God shook them and redeemed them from the hand of Pharaoh that was squeezing them like a bird. And now they had to be set free to come out of Egypt to go to the promised land and to be delivered fully into the plan of God that's next. So he says to to Moses, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. The two of us will be united in oneness. I will make this covenant with you. You shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Jehovah, your God, who has freed you from the burdens of the Egyptian. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Jehovah. God is making this covenant with the people. And this covenant was based on the blood that was shed by the animal that they had to kill for the last plague that hit Egypt. And they came out of Egypt under the, the, the banner of this cloud that went across Egypt and killed all the Egyptian firstborns. They come out of there, and the blood that they had been sacrificing is now something that God tells them that they must do every year to remember how they came out. Remember the blood of the sacrifice. Remember the blood of the atonement. So much so that Jesus, in his talking to the disciples, he brings them to that place where in in the Gospels you read it, and he says to them, and Paul reiterates it in 1 Corinthians, and he said the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup and lifted it. He took the bread and blessed it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body that's broken for you. Take, drink, this is the blood of the new covenant, my blood. He ended all of the sacrifices throughout all of history with his own sacrifice. And today we are going to be celebrating and entering into that table of communion with the disciples that they took 2,000 years ago. And the sacrifice that's made every week in every church and every, every place that this is celebrated. The Catholic Church celebrates the Mass daily. In some cases they do it multiple times a day. The evangelical church does it periodically. Other religions mimic it. Where they sacrifice an animal and they shed its blood. Because there is something that we as humans go back all the way to Adam. We know in our hearts that in our DNA, and there is a spiritual DNA that each of us has, that has memory, that has history, that is packed in both Spiritual history that takes us right back to Adam and Eve. And that is within us. You may never be conscious of it. But there are some things that stir and that the Holy Spirit comes and touches as though electrically activates. One of them is the realization that bloodshed is important for for, for salvation. When Adam and Eve first sinned, the first thing that God did was cover them with the skin of an animal. How do you get a skin from an animal when you've created all the animals to be living beings? You can't just get skin. You've got to kill an animal, skin it, and take its skin. So from the first day that humanity sinned, God demonstrated his promise that his desires for mankind, humanity, and himself to come into oneness and covenant, and he demonstrated that with the blood, the sacrifice that was the animal. Let me tell you a little bit about the power of this blood. His blood redeems me 
and forgave all my sins. I know it's bad grammar, but it's not necessarily so. His blood redeems me constantly. And once and for all, it has forgiven all my sin. That's in the past, but it continues to the present. Redeems because it's constant and it's daily. He is constantly redeeming from the hands of the enemy for those areas that I still have surrendered to the enemy. The scripture actually tells us that. And in Ephesians 1, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace. He has already redeemed us with the power of his blood. The power of blood is the power of redemption. It's the price that grandpa paid for the bird's salvation and the bird's freedom. It's the price that God himself has paid through his son to redeem us from all sin. In in, uh, Galatians, he, he says these words, Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. You know that the law is the perfect expression of God's standard for humanity. He's given that to Moses to give to Israel for them to realize and to see how short they come, every one of them and every one of us, from fulfilling the law perfectly. None of us can fulfill it. None of us. I was watching this little video clip of a youth pastor, and he had brought up three kids to the front, and he gave them each a basket, and he was going to put sin labels inside these little baskets. To the first one, he says... Uh, the basket that you're holding was a good person. It only committed one sin in all its life. It lied once to mom. So he puts a, a label. He goes to the next one. This one wasn't so nice. This one would always beat its brother up. And she was always sneaking around doing things that she shouldn't do with people that she shouldn't. So we'll put four in there. And he comes to the last one. and He says, this one here was a little bit of a brat. He stole from his mom. He went lying to the teachers. He was having all kinds of wrong things that he was doing. He was sexually, I don't know what. So he takes a handful of them and he puts them in there. And he gets a big one. He says, I don't know what this sin was, but this is a really, really big sin. And he puts it in there. And then he asks the kid, the kids that are watching all this. He says, which of them qualifies to go to heaven? Which of them is righteous enough to enter into the presence of God. And the kids instinctively knew that each one of them had something dirty in each basket. And they said, none of them. We sometimes compare and say, so-and-so is better than so-and-so. I am better than that person. I'm better than that killer. I'm better than that rapist. I'm better than that thief. And I, I deserve. But these kids instinctively knew that all of them had dirty hands. These baskets were all filthy. They had sin in them. However, sin was dealt with by the power of the blood. Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. We just saw that in the verse before in Ephesians. Here he says that it removes the curse of the law from becoming a curse for us. The judgment of the law is no longer applicable to us because the blood has covered all our sins and they're not visible to God anymore. It's as though God has chosen to go blind because of the power of the blood from seeing our sin. In Deuteronomy, if you only obey the Lord your God by diligently observing all his commandment that I'm commanding you to, the Lord your God would set you high above all the nations on the, of the earth, and these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey. But if you don't obey, 
the counter was there. So they didn't obey. So the blessings that were in the promise of the covenant, they weren't able to enjoy. However, there's a promise that he has made to us through his son. That I will redeem you, I will restore you, and I will make you a, a, a tremendous... I will give you myself. I will give you my son whose power of his blood will continually wash over you and bring you into that place where you are fully restored, you are fully washed clean, and sin no longer has a power over you, but you have a power over it. Now I know time is short. I want to spend a little bit more time next time talking about the full power of the blood and what that translates to. But I want to transition us to the communion. And when we come to the communion, I want us to really appreciate what we're doing. These two elements. A simple rice cracker that represents the body of Christ. A little plastic cup full of some grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus. When he took these on that Passover night, it was the last time he celebrated this remembrance of the Passover with his disciples. And when he took it, he lifted the bread, he blessed it, and he passed it to them. He said, take, eat, this is my body that's broken for you. How many of our bodies are broken? I have metal in mine. Some of you may have different pains in your bodies. But we as a body are broken. The church is broken. The body of Christ, the church, is broken. We meet in different locations because we can't get together with the people of that other congregation. Maybe we can, but maybe they can't. Is that right? No, I think we probably both can't. But he's trying to bring us to the place of oneness across the church. He's trying to help us understand that we no longer need to live broken because his body was broken for us to be whole. And then he lifted up the cup and he blessed it. And he said to them, take, drink from this cup of the new covenant in my blood. It's not a new covenant really, but it's the fulfillment of all covenants. And it's the covenant that frees us from the burdens of the older covenants, but it's the fulfillment of all of them. And that's why we call it the new covenant. That's why he called it the new covenant. It's not the covenant with Moses, but it's a fullness of all the heart of God for humanity. This is the doorway. A piece of plastic with some grape juice in it is the doorway. Not really, really, but it represents the doorway. It represents the power that sets us free. It represents the power that liberates us and brings us into the place of full fellowship with him. This is what qualifies us to become one with God. This represents the full act of what Jesus did on the cross. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the shed blood of the perfect for the imperfect. It is the power to remove all curse, all sin, all weakness, all everything. The Lord is restoring the realization of the power that's in these elements as we celebrate and remember don't think of them as just elements. Think of them as to what they represent. The body of Christ on the cross, broken for us. 
the blood of Christ shed on the cross to heal, to restore, to bring back. So as we pass these around, hold on to them, meditate on them, and ask the Lord to open your eyes to see the fullness of what he has given you in these things. Not in these things, but in, through his Son.